Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. What's going on, Hokies fans? With two games in the books, week three of the college football season is upon us. Virginia Tech is set to face the second of two Big Ten opponents with their first road trip of 2023. Waiting in Piscataway is old Big East foe Rutgers. It's episode 311 of the Tech Sideline podcast, and it starts right now. We record on Thursday, September 14th, 2023 from Tech Sidelines High Tech Studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe to our channel and please share the podcast with a friend. On set today, it's our normal football crew, uh, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman to my right. Across the way, senior staff writer Andy Bitter in the fourth chair, managing editor David Cunningham. Producing behind the scenes, Jack Brizendine, Jay Brizzy, as they call him, up in Piscataway. And I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. Check out their new Checking with Perks account that comes with cell phone protection, roadside assistance, fuel savings, deals and discounts, and more. Visit firstbank.com to learn more about this great new account for students. All right, folks. Let's start out this conversation today just like we did the last one earlier this week. We take you to the quarterbacks. Grant Wells is banged up. Will it be Kyron Drones on Saturday? What are your thoughts on the quarterback room right now for Virginia Tech? I would be very, very surprised if it's not Kyron Drones on Saturday. And I even shocked isn't too strong a word. Um, if, if Wells was so limited in practice yesterday, um, that they, they didn't put they didn't want to put him in any drill where he really had to push off hard or any drill where he might get his foot stepped on, you know, that that's a pretty big clue right there. So I would anticipate drones from start to finish in this one. Yeah, you know, Wells wasn't moving at all. Uh, they went through their little agility drill and they're doing ball security stuff and Wells was still over there throwing to somebody on the side. It's like, okay, is this just for show, for the media out here? Uh, you know, they get into the, the red zone. Uh, one-on-ones are doing it's all drones and it's all pop watts and wells didn't even throw a pass there so uh if he can't move back there he's a sitting duck on the field it does nobody any good to, to put him out there uh you know probably just kind of got by on adrenaline in that second half of the purdue game before he just couldn't go anymore so uh they gave you know drones first team reps as many first teams reps as he's gotten since the end of camp and they're getting pop watts and ready to go in case, I mean, if Wells can't play and Drones gets hurt, you're all of a sudden you're looking at a true freshman playing the game. You got to get him reps this week. So I think uh, they are preparing for that contingency, and I, I would expect a, a heaping helping of Drones on Saturday. Well, there are some crazy people calling for that after the spring game to see Pop Watson in there. But let's Be, say because of one <laughs> because know, of one big play, you know, improvised play where he threw a touchdown pass against the fourth string it's like, defense. I like, remember pump watching the brakes a little bit. On I, this I remember one. watching Jeremy Haynes getting three sacks in a spring game one time. He was my, a walk 
boy Jeremy Haynes. That's right. Yeah. I'd always yeah. we'd always have a little uh, practice rapport out there. So uh-huh. shout out to Haynes yep. on that one. <laughs> I remember Brent Pry talked in like his first press conference of the year how the quarterback room and and somebody had asked like, oh, what about Pop Watson? Why is he not in this quarterback battle? And he goes, well, we got two really good freshman quarterback and Dylan Whitkey and Pop Watson. He said, but. Uh, but both of them are still trying to figure out which way is left right now. So you know, and I, I've heard uh, recently, actually out before the uh, Purdue game, I've heard people tell me that it's actually closer between Watson and Whitkey than it is between Watson and Drones. Mm. So you do not want to, you don't want, you don't want to go to your third quarterback. He's a true freshman, and he needs to redshirt. He needs to red redshirt. I mean, let's get it out of the way early. You know, uh, put it up there, Jack. You, you don't you don't throw three star, uh, undersized quarterbacks out there when you can't run the football. I mean, I just think that would be bad for his development. Actually, if he was forced into uh, something like that, if he had to play ex- extended snaps as a true freshman. So, right now, I, I it's it's drones all the way as far as I'm concerned, and unless there's an injury and. Then yeah, you're gonna have to have a uh, you have to make a hard decision at that point. Um, but I just I I think I agree. Like the Watson is, it's it would have to be an emergency before he comes into the game. Yeah, you even read into Prize quote. You know, we asked him about him yesterday, and he's like he's he's got sort of that backyard football element to him. It's like well, that's good, and it's good to have that playmaking ability. But you also have to know the system mm-hmm. and play within the system, uh, so everybody else can get on the same page. So those those highlight plays are great, and the backyard football, you know, works a little bit better in high school where you saw his highlights, where it's just like. He looks like Tyrod Taylor out there running back and forth across the field and nobody can catch him. Guys can catch you in college. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they are maybe not your physical equals, but but pretty close in a lot of cases. So uh, the fact that they, that, you know, him and Whitkey were, they never really designated the number three quarterback because they didn't have to. I mean, it was below the the line on the depth chart, so nobody had to see it publicly. They, they've they moved Watson ahead for the time being and are getting him reps, but I think they would prefer not to have to play him if they don't have to. They even said in the spring game that that, that wasn't the play. When Pop had that long ball, that wasn't even the play and kind of got chewed out for it um, afterwards. Chewed well, out for a touchdown pass. Right. Like just enjoy the touchdown <laughs> pass. Come on, guys. Well, I ask you guys this. You know, how are we feeling? Say, hypothetically, it is Kyron Drones on Saturday. Is there, for some, a level of excitement? Hey, finally we get to see this guy. He was a get out of the transfer portal. Some thought he would start over Grant to begin with before this quarterback battle. Like, what is the vibe? Are we excited to see him play? What are your guys' thoughts? I think there's always a level of excitement when a back up at any positions but especially the quarterback position comes into the game even if it's like towards the end of the game and like a blowout hey now we get to see what he can do and things like that but when you get to see him start I think that adds something to it I think there's an opportunity for Virginia Tech to switch some things up Um, he and drones are different quarterbacks and it would be wise to devise something where you play to his strengths um, and, and get him moving more, whether that's in the passing game or in the running game. And it's not something that you have to come up with on the fly because you've been thinking since he got here, he's going to play at some point, whether that's as part of a rotation or whether Wells gets hurt or whether he beats out Wells. You're thinking at some point he's going to be in there for important snaps. So you should already have it in your head. Here's what the offense is going to look like. Here's the type of plays I'm going to call. Here's the type of – you know, game planning adjustments we're going to make if he's the quarterback. So that, that should already be in their head. They should already have known going into this week the type of stuff they're going to do. Um, now we just have to wait and, and see what that looks like. 
Yeah, I think it opens up the offense in some ways. You know, spread the field, run a quarterback draw, or something like that. You're not calling those plays for Wells. Uh, it worked there at the end of the, the Purdue game. Now, Purdue's playing the pass all the way, so maybe that added to why it's open. But you saw him get downfield and then, like, kind of go out of his way to hit the Purdue guy <laughs> on the ground. I, I finally saw the replay of that. It's like, he didn't have to go down and hit that guy yeah. on the sideline. He chose to do that. So that's the element of this whole thing is kind of the unknown with drones and why people are excited when a backup goes in like this is – you don't see that at practice all the time. Uh, that's not something that really shows up because the quarterbacks are, you can't touch them in practice. So they get on the field like that. And, you know, it's why Gerard Evans was such a dynamic player when he got the game. Hendon Hooker was like that too. Uh, you know, Braxton Burmeister was a runner, but he didn't run people over. So you could see that in practice because he was running around people, but you, you get in games, it wasn't drastically different once he got there. So uh, I think with Kyron, though, he loses his mystique as the backup quarterback. Right. All of a sudden, he's no longer the most popular player on the team. That yeah. that shifts to Pop Watson because Pop <laughs> Watson is now the backup quarterback and everybody loves him. Yeah, everybody, you know, you, you get to see the warts now. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever issues he does have, whatever that led him to not win the starting job in the first place, they will be on display. So that means it's up to Bowen. And again, this should have already been in their heads from the very beginning. What tweaks do we make to the offense? What is the offense going to look like when there's a different quarterback in the game? Say Grant has something that's a little more short, short term. Say he misses this week and, and a pair more. And again, this is completely hypothetical. But, you know, Kyron goes out there and balls out on Saturday and throws for. 250 and you win the game do you have a conversation then like hey maybe we went to the wrong guy out of the game i mean uh, uh maybe uh how's the running game look i Fair. think both guys like wells is capable of throwing for 250 i mean he's already done that right so if they're both capable of uh throwing for 250 like who's most likely to turn it over and then what does the running game look theoretically it should look better with drones but you know it's an interesting situation because you know you're not going to have ollie jennings you're not going to have probably your best passing quarterback. Uh, your second best wide receiver, Lane, I think he's going to play, whether he's 100% or not. We'll see. So this seems like a week where you go run heavy, right? But the problem is you're playing Rutgers, who allows 40 yards per game and 1.74 yards per carry. So it's a very interesting matchup from that standpoint. In your hypothetical, if a uh, first-time starting quarterback goes on the road and wins a game after the way the offense has been playing, <laughs> you ride that guy. Yeah. <laughs> you don't make that change. It's not complicated, and that is a problem that this Hokie staff would welcome with open arms. That They'd be like, oh, thank goodness we have to choose between a quarterback that won this week and the, the one that we named the starter at the beginning. They would, they, they would jump over several hurdles to be able to have that problem on this team. But your hypothetical, I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. I don't think Wells is going to be back for Marshall. I think he's going to miss multiple games. Just my gut feel. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, we're going to get into more Rutgers talk. David first, though, has something to the fourth chair. Yeah. I'm kind of on what, what Andy just talked about. What people are, people always like kind of what you talked about, Andy. The the new drones feel like the new shiny option that nobody knows a lot about. What. If he if he comes out like like what would it take? Do you think is it just a win? Is it a a good performance? I mean, if he goes out there and turns the ball over a couple times, but Tech still ekes it out because the defense or special teams makes a couple plays. Like, at what point do you think drones? What do you think drones has to do to become in the coaching staff's minds the guy going forward? I mean, they had how many yards of offense last week? Did they, did, they didn't even get the 300, 300 right, right? Right, just under 400. 
I think it was or less just, than just that. Under 300. Under 300. Sorry, right. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it was 298, maybe. Yeah. Well, they ran for 11. So tech, whatever they passed yeah. for, tech had, 11 200 and, <laughs> tech had 286 yards 86. of total offense. Yeah, we're not talking about this finely tuned machine. Like, what, what, <laughs> this is a very low bar that he has to come in and be better than. So, uh, you know, if they ugly it up and win, I mean, they were ugly it up before and losing. So, you, you, what is what are you really losing in this whole thing? I, again, I'm with Chris. I don't think. This is going to matter. I think Wells is probably out for a little while. Uh, I think it's, you know, whatever they were doing yesterday, showing them to the media. Congratulations. Maybe you threw Rutgers off for a second. But, you know, come Saturday, they're going to see the quarterback that's lining up and taking the pregame snaps, and it's probably going to be drones in all likelihood. So, uh, you know, I, I don't you don't worry about long term right now. They got to worry about this week and what they're going to do a quarterback. And if it works out well, great. And if not, you know, you're in the same situation before. We're working a lot of production offensively anyway, and they've got to solve it overall. You know, we heard about uh, Jalen Lane from Chris. Andy, I wanted to ask you because we were talking about it in the other room, and you just kind of had a interesting take on on Jalen Lane and a possible game-time decision scenario. Yeah, it's a, it's a hamstring, and those are pretty fickle. Uh, as somebody who pulled a muscle playing softball in that <laughs> league the other day, now I'm, I'm 44. I'm not a you know prime college-age student there, but... I was down for like a week and it was like this, this small little tweak. And then I like completely just heard it and I could barely move. Uh, you know, it depends on the day sometimes and you wake up and you go out there and you test it and you think of his position in the slot and all the, the cuts and the quick turns and you have to be agile and moving to that thing. If you're not a hundred percent, you know, are you going to overcompensate for it and hurt it worse? Are you going to be able to be as effective in that spot and then get open? I think there's just a lot of stuff that you just want to get out there and test it on the day of to see if it's going to be good. Now he's going to have a much better chance of recovering than I did after that <laughs> softball game. I was down for a good, you know, solid week, week and a half there. But uh, I think it's something they're going to have to get to game day and then test it and see how it goes. Yeah, I think that's right. I think Lane, it was interesting. Like I saw him on the bike because I'm sitting right behind the bench and then he gets off the bike and he starts jumping up and down like as hard and as fast as he can, you know? So at that point, like I'm like, okay, he's about to come back in the game. And then he never did. Uh, I've never had a hamstring injury. I, I don't know what that's like. Uh, but uh, if he was practicing yesterday, I feel like that puts him in a solid position to play. But like you said, it's one it, step, one yeah. bad step. And it's like, I retweaked it. And, 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 and you just, don't want, if it's not 100%, you don't want him to like, like you said, overcompensate and then maybe hurt the other leg because you're putting more weight uh, on the other side of your body. So it's a tricky thing to manage. Sometimes hamstring injuries, if, if you play them too soon, it turns into three-week injuries or four-week injuries, and you don't want that to happen. And I feel like this is not a new thing. Didn't he miss some time in the spring? Maybe. I thought, and maybe even a little bit in camp. There, I think it's in something that's that's popped up a little bit. So if that's the case, too, you want to be extra cautious with it. By the way, Andy was an incredible asset to our softball team, despite the one day where he uh, where he had pulled the muscle. Andy uh, definitely took I us to another level. I was in the first level. game, and then I pulled the muscle, and I'm just like, I can't even move. I was in left field, and they were just yeah, – I was like a statue out there. I'm like, Lane, you got to put me in right field again, guys. I cannot run after the ball out here. So you're not going to break Cal Ripken's record? N no. <laughs> definitely not the Iron Man in this situation. The Feather Man, more like it. David, you got something? Yeah, Lane did miss some time last year at Middle Tennessee okay. State, for, for what it's worth. So it, – it, I mean, this is not like his first rodeo. Um, I just went back and found a tweet you had, Andy, from April 15th. Wide receiver Jalen Lane had a little hamstring pull that kept him out. Ah, so, there you go. There you go. So the maybe old memory this, isn't gone yet. So maybe this is not just a one-time thing. Um, but, yeah, I, as a former soccer player, I 
kind of agreed that like sometimes sometimes you feel good when it comes out and sometimes it just does not feel it's, good you and just you don't. just have to hang it up for the day. Now, uh, same subject, different player. Do you remember what um, Ollie Jennings' injury was last year when he was at ODU? Because he had to have surgery. I think he I wrote missed a, the last I wrote a feature games. on it. Uh, okay. It was an ankle, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure it was an ankle. I don't know the exact injury title, but it, I'm, right. I'm almost 100% sure it was the Derek Canteen would probably know because he was yeah, the yeah, one who yeah. injured him on, on the tackle. Well, it, it, it's funny, but well, it's not funny. Both of his injuries that he sustained in the last 11 months of playing college football were both forced by a current Virginia Tech player. Like Jalen oh, right. yeah. Lane rolled into him, and then Derek Canteen injured him last year. But so if he's got like a broken ankle now, which – According to Greg Schiano, he's had surgery. Yeah, Schiano, <laughs> like, like your your injury subterfuge is not working. No, it's not Virginia working. Tech. Yeah, the other yeah. coach is like, yeah, <laughs> ankle surgery, and he's out. Um, so. But it's it's possible that like I don't know which ankle it is either time, but it's possible that that's like the exact same injury, and maybe it wasn't repaired quite as well as it could have been repaired. I don't know. Do we know if it's the same foot? We don't know. We don't even know technically uh, that it is that because uh, Tech hasn't announced. So Ollie Jennings. Uh, he had partially torn ligaments okay. in his right ankle, an injury he suffered in October against Georgia Southern when Derek Canteen right. rolled up on his ankle. Right. So yeah, this yeah. is the other ankle. This is the other ankle. Okay. And that's just bad. I mean, you, yeah, you look at that play, and if you're a football player, you're like, that's your worst fear. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. You're trying to block downfield, and the you know, guy gets tackled in your back. I mean, you see it all the time with offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Especially because they're just, I mean, that's why they wear those huge knee braces just to try to save them a little bit. But I mean, you feel for a guy like that. You go through this whole entire offseason and you prepare for this big senior season. You transfer to another place. You want to put big numbers and then something completely out of your control happens like that and you're out for a while. Yeah. I think a lot of people are heartbroken about it. Chris, did you happen to see, I know Andy didn't, um, there was a Notre Dame lacrosse player that had a hamstring injury for the national championship game. They taped him up an artificial hamstring. David shaking his head. Yes. So Pat Cavanaugh, which is one of the best in the country. I want to say he plays second for the Tourton, which is sounds definitely sounds like a Notre Dame. All of his brothers (laughs) played at Notre Dame, Matt, Pat, Chris, and they're all like Notre Dame legends. Anyway, they made an artificial hamstring with like one of those elastic bands and taped it up now he was still fairly immobile he played in the national championship game and i was just kind of saying because a couple a couple of our interns had brought it up why don't they do something like that with Jalen lane i'm like okay. slot receivers a little different now, i actually have a story about that so cedric humes former virginia tech running back in 2005 broke broke his forearm and during the middle of the season i think it was against marshall and the virginia tech engineering department made a soft cast for him because we never broken a forearm. You know, you can't wear a regular cast here because you can't carry the ball with a regular cast. So they made a made him a soft cast that had given it so he could carry the football. So he came back early, very early from his broken forearm just because of the type of the cast that the engineering department at Virginia Tech made for him. And I thought it was a very interesting story. That's a little more high tech than MacGyvering up a hamstring yeah. uh, for, for one game. By the way, you know, you're like trying to get through a national championship game that probably, Notre Dame was probably going to win anyway. They're probably, right. probably good at, that good to do it. But it's, it's like football, a lot more to it. Week three, it's like, is, it, is, it, is a homemade hamstring going to last for the rest of the year? Probably not. So uh, I'll probably leave it to the medical professionals in this yeah. field. And, 
Absolutely. Well, we got a new Mike linebacker at the top of the depth chart. Had an opportunity to talk to him during the week as well. Alan Tisdale, uh, just a, a different plethora of maturity in him, and he really seems like a leader in that locker room to some of the younger linebackers. What are your guys' thoughts on uh, him moving up to the top? Mike seems like he earned it throughout the week. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, no, it's still one, it's still very much a rotation there. And I forget the snap count off the top of my head, but I want to say it was around 60% Tisdale and 40% Keller at Mike in, in the Purdue game. So that's still very much a rotation. Um, I think, he, you know, he's a sixth-year guy. He was recruited for Bud Foster's system. That's how long he's he's been at Virginia Tech. He was recruited for a Bud Foster system originally. But, you know, there's enough similarities between Pry's system and Foster's system that you can say he's a good fit for the system and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, he's earned it, but they're going to continue to play both those guys. Ultimately, neither one of them is a natural Mike, which I think is an issue with, with Virginia Tech's run defense right now. There's there's not a Dax Holyfield or a Jack Tyler or a Vince Hall or or even, like, a Bruce Taylor. Or, and, or Taylor's a guy who could play both. But, uh just not a natural run stopper. Both of those guys were safeties in high school, and asking them to play Mike is asking a lot. And uh, uh, so I, I would say that considering their backgrounds to the position, they might even be exceeding expectations a little bit. But uh, it's, it's it's not a natural move to go from safety to, to Mike linebacker. So the split for you, Chris, there were 83 snaps for the Mike linebackers on Saturday. Uh, Tisdale played 48, Keller played 35, so it's about a 58-42 split. That was close. Yeah, I mean, Tisdale, he enrolled in 2018. (laughs) He's in the same class as Trey Turner. Trey Turner is now in his second year away from Virginia Tech. So that tells you how long uh, Tisdale has been here. Same class uh, as Dax, too. Yeah, just just has played a lot of football. Uh, So he's been around for a while. A little bit of concern, but just not having that Mike background. And, you know, we've talked about this before, how they just sort of lined up the mic for so long and going from Matua Pawaka to Ashby to Dax. I mean, it was just like a, it was like there's a plan in place on who was next and who was going to be the understudy and then take over the job. Uh, and even before that, they, they sort of had that, uh, you know, in place and they don't have that right now. And I think you're seeing some of the confusion on defense because of that. And, you know, I, don't, I haven't looked into prize history with linebackers and if that's just sort of unusual in the way they've done now. But I know they're, they're trying to get as fast as possible at those linebacker spots. Maybe you trade off a little bit of the, you know, what you get in a Mike linebacker and a run stopping type guy to, to, to add that speed to the group. I think for, for what it's worth, um, you know, and for the Purdue game, Tisdale was Tech's third highest graded defensive player. Mm. Um, Keller was the fifth highest graded defensive player. So, you know, which is, I think, a positive after Keller um, did not grade out very well um, in that opener against Old Dominion. But, um, I mean, Tisdale, Tisdale, what stands out to me about Tisdale, he had a 90, almost a 92 pass rush grade. Um, so he did have that early sack. Yeah. Yeah. So they're obviously very pleased with him and he's, he's an awesome guy to chat with. We talked with him <laughs> earlier this week. Um, he's very down to earth and you know, he has a two and a half year old kid and he talked about how he's really matured and that's kind of changed his perspective on everything. And he's had to grow up faster. And mm-hmm. I know that was the case. Think back to a couple of years ago when we heard Justin Fuente and, and Justin Hamilton talk about him and, um, it's, you know, he, he seems like the same guy he was then. Yeah, I've talked to him during media day a couple of years ago and had the same conversation. He basically says, man, your whole perspective on life changes 
when you have a kid. Uh, you remember he was all, always had difficulty putting on weight and things like that. And as a football player, when you've got that kind of frame, if you have difficulty putting on weight, it's generally a, a you problem, a discipline problem. Well, as soon as he had that kid, guess what? He started looking like a linebacker. You know, he started putting on 20 pounds and things like that. Let me tell you, as a father, it's easy to put on weight. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You <laughs> become a father. Well, you guys talked to Coach Pry. You talked to Alan Tisdale. But you also talked to Jalen Jones, Dwayne Lofton, as well as defensive coordinator Chris Marv. Just wanted to put it out there for you guys. Anything stick out that was worth mentioning to uh, our audience? You know, talking to Jalen Jones was interesting. Uh, tough to get stuff out of Marv sometimes doesn't like answering the questions that you ask, so he answers different. Anyway, yeah, Jalen Jones, uh, you know, we talked to him a lot about the transition. I mean, he switches from receiver to safety, uh, you know, sort of just want to get on the field. And I don't know if you expect to be on the field this much in this capacity this quickly because, you know, Nasir Peoples was a pretty entrenched starter. And I thought he would, I think he thought that he would have a little bit more time to, to, you know, get brought into the position, but, you know, he's been thrown to the fire. He's actually started the first two games. He started in the package they had in the first one. I uh, ended up playing a lot of snaps because of Jalen Stroman getting uh, disqualified for targeting in the second half. Uh, and then he started the, the last game with people's not available. And it doesn't sound like people's will play this week, uh, trending toward, you know, getting, I think he's probably described as borderline doubtful. Uh, for the games. That's not a good sign if he's not practicing on Wednesday and, and the coach is saying that about you there. So I think they need Jones to, to grow into that position quickly. He looked a little bit better, I feel like, in pass coverage at times against Purdue. Run fits, maybe still not his forte. I think PFF grades actually said it was the opposite of that, so maybe it's my eyes deceiving me. But uh, I know on that, that run play that they had for the touchdown to go up 17-0, I think Jones came up into the wrong spot and it, it created a hole up the middle. I think there's just stuff uh, in run stopping that he's still learning because uh, he's, he's, he's a little bit more used to the pass coverage element of the game. Well, the Tech Sideline podcast is also brought to you by Alumni Hall, the place to gear up for Hokies games. Located in the first and main shopping center in Blacksburg, they have been serving Hokie fans for 15 years. Order your Hokies gear online at alumnihall.com. All right, Rutgers, we're heading up to Piscataway Saturday, 3.30, kickoff against the Scarlet Knights. Chris, this is a football team right here that has arguably comfortably won their first two ball games of the year. They're 2-0. and Now, they took care of business in the opener against a, you know, a program in Northwestern that's seen its better days. Uh, it was a 24-7 to win at home for Rutgers. And then uh, they played uh, Temple at home as well, won that one 36-7. And doesn't matter who you're playing against to start 2-0 and and do it in convincing fashion, putting up uh, points like that, that's a pretty good way to start. I would say, especially when you haven't been to a bowl in a long time, and you start out 2-0, and and then you see a vulnerable Virginia Tech team, you've still got Howard on the schedule. So, like, this is a big game for Rutgers, because if you start 3-0, and that means you just have to win three of your last nine to qualify for a bowl, and that would be their first bowl game in Shiano's second Stent is is their head coach, so I think it's a I think it's a big game for them. They're an interesting team. Uh, they didn't really have to do very much to beat Northwestern, who you know isn't isn't like you said they've uh, they're in a little bit of turmoil right now. We'll we'll say um, the Temple game is interesting. You look at the final score and you see thirty six to seven, and you think it was a blowout. With eleven and a half minutes left in that game, it was thirteen to seven. All right, this Rutgers offense isn't going to run away from anybody. Um, they're, they're, they're just not a good offense. Uh, they lack their quarterback for his career. Uh, Wimsat is 
under 50% passing and has more interceptions than touchdowns. This year, he's slightly better. He's at 54% with two touchdowns and no interceptions and averaging 180 yards a game, but that's against two teams that, quite frankly, are not very good. And they didn't really ask him to throw much. Right. I mean, they, it's it's right. not like, oh, we're behind and we need to right. throw the ball. They, they, were, they were comfortably ahead in those games. They're pounding the rock and trusting their defense. This is like old-school Frank Beamer Virginia Tech football. Like, if a starting quarterback was injured or something like that, just, just run it and let Bud do his thing, and we'll get out of here with a – 23 to 10 win or something like that you know that, that that's the good right formula work yeah, for a while it does it worked it work for a while and if you've got a good defense you can do that and they have a good defense uh like as we said their their rush defense is dominant uh they have not been challenged yet i don't think they're physically dominant across the board but i think they're very very well coached you know shiano obviously has a reputation as, a, as an excellent defensive coach uh the interesting thing in this game is like if you look at one aspect of it if you just look at the how bad Virginia Tech is running the ball and how good Rutgers is at stopping the run. And then conversely, Rutgers is pretty decent at, at, at running. You know, they've, they've got physical running backs, and Virginia Tech has been bad at stopping the run. So from that standpoint, it does not look like a good matchup for Virginia Tech. But at the same time, you look at the Rutgers offense as a whole, they scored 24 in their first game. And against Temple, like I said, the, under the final score was out of hand, but – in the in the fourth quarter, that was a thirteen to seven game. Like it just doesn't seem like they're going to run away from Virginia Tech. They don't have the offense to do that. This this game is seems like the Hokies are always going to be within striking distance. It's going to be close. Whoever's winning throughout the course of the game, um, which is odd to say about a game where the matchups don't look particularly uh, compelling. But I think uh, it's it's going to be it's an interesting game. I don't think it's going to be an entertaining game. I'll put it that way. Yeah, Virginia Tech Rutgers not entertaining. I can't even imagine a scenario <laughs> like that. So I think you're right in that, you know, you got a new quarterback probably starting this game. You've been struggling on offense. What you don't want to face is some team that you're going to get in a track meet with. Like you can ugly it up and sure. you can lean on defense and special teams and maybe you do some stuff on offense and stay in. But, you know, I think Rutgers is up to a seven point favorite in this game now. And I look at that and I go, should anybody be a touchdown favorite in this game? Is anybody going to score a touchdown in this game, <laughs> let alone be a touchdown favorite? Uh, you know, I think the total is was down to like 39 and a half or something like that. There's just not going to be a lot of offense in this game. So. Maybe good for Virginia Tech that they're playing this oddly, yeah, because it feels like you can you know muddy this up, ugly this up, make a special teams play here and there, play the field position game, which they did really well against ODU uh, in the opener, less so against Purdue in week two. But you know it's certainly a game that they could win. You know I didn't pick them to win, but I think they could be close enough to win if things bounce a certain way. It's, it's sort of the opposite of last week, where we all picked Virginia Tech to beat Purdue, but we all acknowledged that it was kind of a toss-up game and, and and Purdue could win. It's the opposite this week. Like we're all picking Rutgers, but we also acknowledge that Rutgers' offense isn't good enough to blow away Virginia Tech, and it's going to be close, and the Hokies could win. Andy, from what I found, the over/under is 37 currently. Oh, it's down to wow. 37. It keeps right? dropping. It opened at 40 That's and a half. What, yeah, according and a half. to Caesars and ESPN, it okay. is. It is Rutgers is a seven-point favorite, and the over/under is down to 37. That's got to be. Wow. I wonder what the the like the lowest over under ever is between like two power five teams. I mean, it's it's whoever Iowa played. In right. A game. I mean, it, Pro- probably some I- of those were down to like thirty two. I yeah. think they're pretty low. Yeah. 
Well, Wimsat, uh, Gavin Wimsat, was a former four-star quarterback, very similar to Kyron Drones. Uh, I want to ask you about their receiver room. They seem to be in a situation very much like Tech was last year, that there's not a whole lot of talent there in that receiver room for the Scarlet Knights. You know, they got uh, Jaquay da- Jackson out of the transfer portal, and normally you see guys transfer one level up. He transferred two levels up. From Division Two, he was Division Two All American, and he's arguably their best wide receiver. Five catches, ninety-nine yards, and then Isaiah Washington, six catches, sixty yards. Besides Jackson, who accumulated all his production at the Division Two level, they've got a bunch of wide receivers that are like seniors and juniors, but who haven't caught more than like fifteen passes for their career. So that they have, they've been completely unproductive for their course of their careers. So you got about three guys like that who have been unproductive throughout their careers. You've got a guy who transferred up from Division Two, and then you've got a true freshman or two. So I, I, I can't tell if, like, Wimsat is not a good quarterback because he doesn't have good receivers or if the receivers aren't good because they don't have a good quarterback or if it's or if it's some sort of combination of both. That's probably it's just been a bad case. offense. It's just a, a bad while. offense. They, right. they, they struggled last year. I think their total quarterback numbers last year is like really low touchdowns and double-digit interceptions whenever they – I think they started like three or four guys too. Mm-hmm. So uh, sorting out the the mess of the offense and trying to find sort of an identity there. I think they've it's been a process for them for a while. Let's go ahead and talk about Rutgers' defense a little bit more. Virginia Tech – in all likelihood, uh, without some of their big studs on offense, and maybe Jalen Lane is not um, up to 100%. Uh, Daquan Wright had a little bit of an owie as well. So maybe you have a handful of guys that are not 100%. What does this Rutgers secondary look like? What can Virginia Tech do in the passing game? We know how good they are at stopping the run. you got to think they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit here. They've been The production has been there in the secondary. I don't think they've been challenged. Um, I think if Virginia Tech had their full complement in terms of the passing game, it would be advantage Virginia Tech. But with a backup quarterback who was named the backup because he wasn't as good as a starter as a passer, and then without the number one receiver, you got to wonder exactly what the passing game will look like now. Uh, you know, I, I think they've got decent, solid secondary players uh, who have had good matchups the first two weeks. But will they have a good matchup again this week? It, Probably so with the struggles of Virginia Tech offense and with the the and with the injuries the Hokies have. So I do think they're exploitable in the secondary. I'm just not sure if Virginia Tech's in a position this week to do that. So if you had some keys to the game here uh, for Virginia Tech to come out, execute, take down Rutgers on the road. By the way, it's their scarlet out, um, so the place is going to be full of red. I don't know what kind of atmosphere necessarily to expect. Andy and I were talking about this before. I've never been to a game there. Andy said he. Have you been to a game? I've there? never been there. To okay. what's it called now? She's S H I Stadium. They got to make the jokes tougher to write. Come on, guys. <laughs> that's that's too easy there. <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily. Obviously, this isn't one of the more hostile places to play in the Big Ten by any stretch of the imagination. Looking at some of their most recent turnouts, it looked more like like a maybe not as low tier as like a Duke turnout, but like a Wake Forest or a North Carolina, where the place is kind of a little more than half full. And I think if you if we're Virginia Tech loses this game, they're not going to be able to say it's because, well, we couldn't hear the plays in the huddle because of the crowd. We right? walked into a hornet's nest up there <laughs> right. at Rutgers. No, probably not well, like I mean, that. you just don't go into SHI Stadium and come out with a win. You know? <laughs> so what, what what is it going to take for the Hokies to catch a win on Saturday? 
I think I think they're going to have to like win the field position game. Hopefully, come up with a turnover or two. And if you do that, you need to make sure you take advantage of it and score. Um, and then obviously protect the ball themselves because this isn't a game where it's likely Virginia Tech is going to have multiple 80-yard touchdown drives and things like that. You, you've got to be good in the fine margins of this game. Um, you have to be play very disciplined football. Um, penalties haven't been an issue for Virginia Tech, and you've got to make sure that's, that's the same thing for the third week in a row. I think it's it's going to be one of those games that's within reach the whole time. You're, you're gonna you're gonna go through that whole game knowing the Hokies have a chance to win. Uh, it's just it's going to be tough for them to do that though. Ultimately, with, with with so many injuries and it's when I look at it, football is won in the trenches and through two games, Virginia Tech's as I call it trench warfare numbers on both sides of the ball are amongst the worst in the country. One of the four worst Power Five teams in the country. Uh, and Rutgers is one of the better teams, particularly when with rush defense. So in the end, you know, I've got Rutgers winning a close game because they've been a lot better than Virginia Tech in the trenches so far this year. Yeah, and despite that, though, I think they have to figure out a way to run the ball. And it just you can't have 11 yards rushing. No. <laughs> you can't have negative two going into the last <laughs> drive. I mean, I know that's not a strength. I know that's going into the teeth of what Rutgers is, is a strength of a defense, but you have to present something on the ground. Otherwise it makes it even that much more difficult to pass. And you can't ask Kyron drones to throw it 40 times. Exactly. That's, that's not going to be the way that he beats you. I think right. there's got to be inventive with ways that you run the ball and attack different parts of the field, not just the, the middle of the line, you know, use drones as legs to your advantage. I mean, he's got that ability, uh, find space for him out there, make the defense defend the extra hat like that. But, that, you know, it's got to be a step up in terms of execution and, you know, just variety of what they've been doing the first couple of weeks. How about this, guys? Virginia Tech has won the last 12 times that these two teams have played. They're on a 12-game winning streak against Rutgers, spanning from 1993 to 2003. Uh, Virginia Tech won all of those. They played one more time in that bowl game, and it was a 13-10 win in Orlando for Virginia Tech. They have not played since 2012 and the first time they played in like the modern era because they played once in the 20s and once in the 50s was 1992 and Rutgers won that game 50 to 49 so Did, Tech have almost, you seen the highlights of that game I have and not. how they lost that no first of all Rutgers turned the ball I think turned the ball over seven times in that game and Holy still cow. lost there's and like still scored 49 like, points yeah there's they scored 50 there oh was yeah, a, yeah. They, it was basically seven it was basically a walk-off win this is a you know the two eight and one season where virginia tech lost every game imaginable uh in every possible way in heartbreaking fashion there's like 15 seconds left and Rutgers is on his own side of the field and basically throws a hail mary <laughs> and they complete the pass with like seven seconds left, ticks down to five, and they spike it. They get down to like the 15-yard line, then throw a, a flag route in the corner for a walk-off win. I mean, they, they move 70 yards in two plays to win it in the last 15 seconds. And it's just like, wow. you think you think about Frank Beamer at that time in, in his run, and that's year six, and they're losing games like that. Mm-hmm. And somehow they still gave him another chance. He gets to 93, and they turn everything around. But that 92 season was like... They very well could have flipped their record if they had somehow managed to win these close games at the end, but they lost every single one of them in, in really excruciating fashion like that. Wow. You got anything for us, David? Yeah. Uh, let's dive deeper into the Rutgers history. Now, I don't know if you'll, if either of you guys will like this. Um, Virginia Tech beat Rutgers 13-10 in the Russell Athletic Bowl. 
Who caught the pass in the fourth quarter from Logan Thomas to tie the game? Corey Fuller. That's correct. Uh, who was Virginia Tech's leading rusher with a net 14 yards? Uh, Martin Skells. That is also correct. How many? Don't in- doubt these two. I, I was so entertained <laughs> yesterday, the other day that I actually went <laughs> back and looked at, looked the at box that box score. score. <laughs> How many passes did Logan Thomas throw in that game? Oof. I don't remember. 25. Say 40. 33. 39. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Uh, now I, have, now I have an actual serious question about this Saturday's game. Oh, I like this trivia. Keep going. Oh, okay. yeah, trivia this, questions. Right. This is great. Um, Virginia Tech's kicker in that game was? Cody Jernell, game winner in overtime. Yeah. Um, After missing one, I think, at the end of regulation, he, he won in overtime. Oh, How yes. many times did A.J. Hughes punt? 11. <laughs> That's correct. That was a record. Danny, Danny was there. That was a record under Frank uh, Beamer. I think it's still, I think it's still a Russell Athletic Bowl, whatever they call that bowl, Cheez-It Bowl. Now obviously, this record. game has made a deep impact on your life. It was so bad that it's just burned in my memory. I remember that the coin toss they did for overtime is, is pouring rain out, and Vincent Painter and Joey Phillips are out there as the captains to take the coin toss. And Joey Phillips has this mullet and this like Fu Manchu mustache that he had for the game, and he kind of like shakes his head and the bullets flopping in the background. It was a really good gif for a long time. So go look that one up. Virginia Tech had eight offensive possessions in the first half in that game. Two of them were turnovers. Tech had six straight punts. Uh, nice. Uh, well, the wh- second play of the game, they snapped a pass Logan Thomas into the end zone and Rutgers recovered for a touchdown. That's right. Yes. They ran for three yards on 30 carries. Now, they, they still 32 won, carries. They still won the game. I mean, that's the the amazing part. How many times did Rutgers punt? I think it was 10. 10. 21 total punts. In that Do you know who the, uh, the game MVP was? Daddy oh, kicker? It, it was uh, Anton Exum. Anton uh, Exum had uh, the interception at the end. Uh, this is a week after they had, you know, they get those uh, bowl gifts and they had like a Best Buy gift card thing that they had. So everybody's going around doing stuff like that. And Exum actually saw some kids there and gave his gift card to the kids to spend and the whole thing. So this is like paying it forward and karma yeah. uh, repaying the Hokies there. Exum right. ended up, I think he dropped a couple of interceptions, had a possibility for a couple of interceptions, got the interception at the end that helped them uh, uh, win that game. There's, there's two things I remember from that game. One, I remember Daddy Nicholas making this insane play to chase down a play from behind. Ran him down from behind. Well, he ran him down like 40 yards. He was like a gazelle. Yeah, chasing. It was insane. Yeah. And I also remember them running like a toss sweep to Michael Holmes at one point, and he just got perfect form tackled, picked up in the backfield, and drilled right into the turf. And you're just sitting there like, that's what our defense does to people. How is somebody doing that to us? A couple other things. They had the uh, the fighting gobbler yep, yep. Uh, logo yeah. on the helmet. And I think before halftime, like Donald Manning, like, like mimic like something at, at the opponent's but it's just like, what are you doing? You're talking trash in a game that this is like the worst game uh, that they've ever played here. So just, and it was miserable, wet. Frank Beamer was going to overhaul his entire coaching staff during in the pregame. There's a report from I think one of the you know, flying Roussel brothers that did the coaching search thing that they said that Kevin Sherman was going to go to Purdue had already agreed to a job at Purdue, and like up on uh, his agent's website it like listed 
Kevin Sherman is like a Purdue wide receivers coach. <laughs> so we're like, <laughs> that's curious. So we go into the post game afterwards. Everybody's soaking wet in this miserable game afterwards. And we talk to Kevin Sherman and he's like, I know people who work in West Lafayette or something like that. Get some really strange response to it. And like, we had to go up to Steiny and be like, is, are you going to get fired? Like, it was just the, the weirdest post game well, conversation ever. I remember like the speculation that all of that was going to happen, that Steiny was like, wasn't going to be offensive coordinator and Beamer was going to make staff changes but like they never made an announcement until of course after signing day but I remember O'Kane did an interview with like the Roanoke Times in January where he was like yeah we're all fired it was he talked to Bar- <laughs> Barbara called him up it's okay. like well if, if Frank fired me today <laughs> like Mike O'Kane like the nicest guy ever just yeah. like matter of fact it's like well I got fired <laughs> It was the strangest process of transitioning to staff because they didn't announce that the previous staff was gone until right. the new staff had been yeah. put in place. It's just a very odd thing. That was right. an odd backdrop. To I, got a, I got a little bit more trivia for you. Who was Virginia Tech's tackle leader in that game? Hmm. He finished with 11 oh tackles. Oh, goodness. Who were the linebackers that year? Let's go with uh, Bruce Taylor. That's correct. Okay. Virginia yeah. Tech had three sacks. Who had three sacks? All One player had all no, three? No, no, no. Uh, Virginia Tech had three sacks uh, as a team. There were three t- players, each with one sack. Can Daddy, you name them? Gail did, have one? No. James Gale did not. Did have Daddy one. have one? No. Jeez. J.R. Collins? No. Luther Come. Luther Maddie. No. I don't give Man, up. we're we're whiffing here. One Jack Tyler? No, he was uh, playing a lot. No, Jack one. Tyler was Tech's TFL leader with okay. two in that game. Um one was the defensive lineman and the other two were DBs. DBs. Did Exum have one? No. <laughs> Was one of them's name Fuller? <laughs> no. <laughs> Der- so Derek Hopkins had one. Derek okay. D. Hop. Okay. Kaishan? He get in Alonzo Tweedy had Tweedy. Tweedy. Okay. And Dietrich Bonner had one. Wow. We, we named everybody but those, <laughs> but those guys that had uh, them. Um. Uh, oh, the the last the last thing. Can you name? Uh, do you, Do you guys remember who Rutgers' quarterback was? Good Lord, uh, uh, Nova. Gary, Gary Nova. Nova. He was seventeen for forty. For 129 yards, <laughs> that's good. It's a rough day at the office. That, also, that was just that was, like I said. That was the worst game. Oh, that a, was even worse offensively than the, the <laughs> six three double. It was wor- it was way worse. Like if if you had to force me to watch to choose between that uh, the Wake game or the Rutgers game to watch on like, repeat like for the clock, rest of my life, Clockwork yeah. Orange style, they're right. putting your eyes right, open right. with the th- <laughs> exactly. I would pick the Wake game. All right, question yeah. serious question for you guys outside of. Let's not talk about quarterbacks. What concerns you the most about this game for Virginia Tech this upcoming weekend? I think if Rutgers does happen to take an early lead and it becomes a two-score lead at any point, uh, what does the game plan do at that point? Um, You don't want to panic early, but you also don't want to, like, start throwing the ball all over the field with your best receiver out and your backup quarterback. So how do you respond if you face adversity or early in the game, but, but generally the, the main thing that just concerns me overall is just the Rutgers defense in general. And I, it's, I think Virginia tech will run the ball better this week per se. And I think they would have run it better this week. Even if, if drones wasn't going to play just by default, like it's hard to do worse than 11 yards, no matter who you're playing. Right. So I think they would have done marginally better, but at the same time, this just doesn't look like a matchup that uh, that's going to bode well for, for the Hokies up front. 
you just see I see good athletes up front for Rutgers, and I'll talk about Tyreen Powell for a second. He's he's one of their starting linebackers, 6'4", 240 pounds. He can line up on the line of scrimmage, rush the passer, or play traditional linebacker role. He was once committed to Virginia Tech, and until around signing day when uh, this was right after Greg Schiano had come back to Rutgers, I think, and Schiano showed up at his high school in a helicopter and flipped him. That works? That works, apparently. Wow. Yeah. It didn't work yeah. for Chris Cole. Did not. Um, but Powell was from New Jersey, you know. Uh, but he's a, he's a good player. Uh, he started a few games as a freshman, became a full-time starter last year, and so far has been maybe arguably their best player. Uh, Deion Jennings is another linebacker who's very good. Their linebackers are good, and they can run. I think the linebackers are actually the, the strength of their team, uh, in, in my opinion. So their, their offense doesn't concern me except for like they, they do have physical running backs and like tech faced a couple of physical running backs last week and did not fare well yeah i like i like the when shiano got there it's like oh he's a jersey guy is back here i just imagine but like the sopranos soundtrack because he no gets question. off a helicopter and presents it with a jersey mic some gabagool or something like that like oh he really God. plays into the whole uh <laughs> into the whole jersey thing so I, I like that i love it david you said you had one more thing for us yeah we andy you and i talked yesterday around me you know before or after practice about what brandon patterson wrote chris i know you edited and posted it brandon does a really good job breaking down that film stuff and i found it interesting that he said that a lot of the stuff tech used offensively against Purdue were, were new concepts where they were things that Purdue didn't seem to expect. Um, that doesn't mean everything went right. What, what was your main takeaway from that? And I asked Pry, I think it kind of ties into what I asked Pry on Tuesday in his press conference, which goes back to something, Chris, I know you like to talk a lot about that. Pry said last year in October that Tech's offense was too easy to get a beat on. And Pry said something to me along the lines of, you know, we're improving in that area and there's a lot of stuff I think you haven't seen yet. What did you make of, of Patterson's story and putting those two comments together? And, and what do you make of it going forward? They did do a couple different things. Like uh, they tried the shuffle pass, which is same effect as a jet sweep. Uh, but, you know, it didn't work. They did a couple of uh, speed options, which, which I've always wanted. Uh, the first one gained a few yards. Um, there was another one. There's another one they ran in the second half when Wells obviously couldn't move. He maybe just, not a great idea. Maybe not a great time. Quarterback's on got that an one. ankle injury; he can't move around. Yeah, so he got to the end of the line and there was room, and he just fell down because you know he couldn't he couldn't push off. And that's probably the point where they should have realized we need to get him out of the game probably um, because he can't protect himself. Um, they did a few different things, yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. The whole running game operation just seems fairly broken to me. I mean, if if you think about it. Tech averaged 3.1 yards per carry last year, which obviously is not good. But that number has dropped to 1.85 yards per carry this year. And you could blame Grant Wells for that. And I know some people do. But Grant Wells was also the quarterback last year when they averaged 3.1 yards per carry. So he's not the reason for the drop from 3.1 yards to 1.85 yards, right? There is something inherently broken in there and it, yes they broke out a few different con concepts last week and it still didn't work so I, I just think they're 
probably greater issues afoot and probably communication issues, probably play tipping issues maybe. I mean, you can extend it to the defensive side of the ball when uh, Pry talked about how the, the Tech defense missed a signal. Like on the, on the sideline, you've got multiple people signaling in the play. You've got like one person signaling in the real play and a couple people signaling in fake plays. So the other team can't pick up on your signaling and, and the Tech defense at one point, whoever's relaying the signal in, accidentally read the dummies signal and so Virginia Tech ran the wrong defense on a play and that's on the defensive side of the ball but if if there are issues with communications on this team it probably does extend to both sides of the ball so I I think there's probably a lot of things broken with the Tech running game some of them we can see there's probably a lot of little things that you can't see unless you're an experienced football coach also. Well, here's the thing. When you rush for 11 yards in a game, there's not one issue. Yep. It's not like, oh, we solved that at practice, and now we're going to run for 200 yards. Like, there's myriad things going on that they need to fix. So it, it that's why it's not an easy fix. It's not an overnight fix. I think it's got to gradually get better if it's going to get better. Fellas, final thoughts on Rutgers uh, ahead of the big trip this weekend, as well as uh, what people can be on the lookout for this weekend as we uh, cover the ball game from Piscataway. Uh, I think for, for long-term goals of this season like making a bowl game you need you need to win one of these two road games i don't think you can afford to start out one and three and then you're in a position where you have to win five of your last nine to to make a bowl game it's doable but it's not likely so one of these next two i think is key for virginia tech's uh, goal to to make a bowl game yeah i think it's a pretty critical juncture of the season first road test you know, probably first time that drones gets to start a game and play a lot of snaps. I mean, what, what is this team going to look like, especially offensively, if that's the case? And, and how much different is it without Wells in there? Versus, uh, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of unknowns, a lot of questions they have to answer this week. Depending on the severity of Wells' injury, I mean, this is what Virginia Tech could look like for the rest of the season. So I think this is a, like, this is a good glimpse into what the rest of the the season could look like and and how you know if it goes well great i'm not saying that you know how virginia tech plays against Rutgers is how virginia tech is going to play in the 12th game of the season at virginia but there are going to be a lot of similarities and if drones comes out and plays well then drones might be the guy going forward if drones comes out and there are still still struggles then i think it becomes pretty obvious even more obvious that the struggles are rooted deeper than than just who is that quarterback. But I think this will give everybody a really, really good sense of of what the team looks like going forward, even if Wells can't play. Um, and like Chris said, if Virginia Tech wants any any chance to really do some damage this season, it, it's got to win one of these next two games or both. Um, and not really in a good position right now to, to do either one of those things. And I think uh, when you when you talk about drones, to expand on your point, drones was Bowen's guy. He was the guy tech tech targeted in the transfer portal. Like the season ended last year, drones enters the portal. Bowen immediately flies to Texas and makes it very clear that drones is the guy Virginia Tech wants in the portal. So this is this is Bowen's handpicked guy. So if it doesn't work, like let's not jump on drones like everybody's jumped on Wells. Right. Because Virginia Tech recruited both of those guys. And if neither one of them happened to be good enough, it's because either Virginia Tech isn't coaching them properly or they didn't evaluate them properly and things like that. But if 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 Bowen, if drones is is Bowen's guy, as it appears that he was 
throughout the recruit in the recruiting process, then you know Bowen should have been prepared for this moment since last December. Here's what my offense is going to look like because this is the quarterback I recruited to run in this offense. So uh, th- this is this is a big game for Tyler Bowen, I think, from that standpoint. How about the content, fellows? Chris, where are you watching from this weekend? I don't know. I'm I'm host I'm co-hosting a local uh, the local ESPN Blacksburg radio show nice. at Hokie House. Uh, but that's at noon, and the game doesn't start till three thirty. So I don't know where I'm going to watch. I might watch it at home. Mm. Or maybe I don't know. We'll not uh, not PKs for you. Probably not. But okay. I don't know. I'm open. All right. We'll see. All right. Cool. How about you guys? I'll be at SHI Stadium. Yeah, we'll be there. Hopefully Beautiful. dry. That hurricane looked like it stayed off yeah. the coast. I hope so, Thank too. Thank God. Didn't need another weather delay or anything uh, <laughs> preventing this game from starting on time. I'll be down there with a the camera again, so I also hope that it does yeah. not rain. We'll have plenty of content there. Kyle Marshak will be with us. It'll be Andy and I. Ivan, Russian Hokie, will be Kyle's there. Kyle's going to Marshall. I'll be there with you. You'll be there with yeah. us. Oh, yeah. That, okay. I knew... Kyle, Kyle yes. will be there, too. Kyle's calling the game for our student okay, organization. Okay, so you'll be there with us. Yeah, so... Me, you, Andy, Ivan, we'll all be there. We'll have plenty of good content. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, like Andy said, hopefully the, the weather stays away. But I think this is a big-time game. Like, this is a defining, potentially defining game for Virginia Tech season. Awesome. All right, for David Cunningham, for Andy Bitter, for Chris Coleman, Jack Brizendine, I'm Giovanni Heater saying so long from Blacksburg. Enjoy the ball game this weekend, and we'll tell you all about it on Monday. This was Episode 311 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll see you next week.